my first interview, I had to talk about filling sandbags or how I was able to expedite cleaning our vehicles by introducing a new process. It's the same thing. Like it's just that the implementation is, you know, military vehicle <laughs> instead of a, instead of a software. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Niku Parente. Niku, I think we connected shortly after my conversation with Joey. Does that sound right? Leave so, yeah. He had a cool story, and I understand you also serve the country, and I definitely want to learn more about that <laughs> as well. But I, I think more than anything, Niku, you know, I love the work that you're doing to help make these transitions into tech more accessible. And you know, I'm just really excited to bring you on today and to learn more about you and your own journey. So why don't you just briefly introduce yourself? I appreciate it. Name's Niku, as James is calling out. Husband, uh, I have two dogs, and I'm a first-generation immigrant here in the U.S. Uh, I'm on a personal mission to empower and inspire people to build products uh, that positively impact the world. And right now I'm doing that through helping connect people on uh, to transitioning into tech because I think that's one of the areas that could really uh, bring impact at scale. On a professional note, I've been in tech for about nine years now, working on the full product lifecycle from inception all the way to ending, ending of life of product. So uh, and on, on that note, like I've worked on various roles as well from uh, an operations analyst, uh, software engineer, site reliability engineer, and currently for the past five years, I've been a product manager. Taking it all the way back, I think I saw on your very cool website that I, I want to talk about <laughs> at some point as well. So it looks like, uh, I think, as you mentioned, you're a first-generation immigrant and you came from the Philippines. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. take take us back to like early childhood. What was it like growing up? What were your aspirations? Yeah, for sure. Um, So grew up in the Philippines, like 15 years of my life there. I was born and raised in a small, um, well, not a really small island, but an island in the Philippines called Samar. Grew up there, a small town. In fact, like it was so small that we got super hyped and happy that we finally got a, a fast food joint. Um, I was like, oh, that was the that was the thing, right? <laughs> um, I was super happy about that. Uh, so it's pretty small. Uh, I think growing up, I you know had a, an affinity towards computers. Um, I just like playing more, probably just video games. Um, you know, in the Philippines, not not many people have their own computers. So we go to these computer shops, uh, rent out some time and play some video games. So nice. video games definitely was the entry point. Um, I always, I think in in high school, I've always, um, you know, worked on computers. So either photo editing or even trying to mix some, some, some music up. Um, but I think even from there, I always knew I was going to work some, I'll work on something that's related to computers um okay. at, at that time like the concept of software engineering product management ui ux all those things were completely way out there i don't even know about yeah. it like i just know yeah. like you work on like to me my, my vision of tech is somebody working on i on an it help desk that, mm. that was it right so i came to the us when i was uh, nine so here until i was 11 my parents sent me back to the philippines to finish high school and um came back to the us when i was 17 uh okay you know, working on um, part of the kitchen staff in one of the hospitals, uh, so as a server, but also busing stuff and cleaning food <laughs> okay. for, for patients. Pretty simple, uh, pretty chill life in the Philippines, nothing nothing okay. too crazy. So. so it sounded like you and your family came to the mm -hmm. U.S., then you went back for a little bit to finish high school, I think you had mentioned, and then you came back again to the States at around 17. Mm -hmm. Were you hoping to embark on whatever kind of career that you wanted or maybe you envisioned for yourself at that time in the U.S.? Or was or were you just kind of like 
following family, so to speak. Oh, definitely following family. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it okay. was, it was, my mom was like, Hey, uh, you're coming back. I was like, okay, cool. Um, Done. so I came back Easy. here. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was definitely looking into, um, starting some, something in tech. So I did go to a community college to, to get my computer plus, um, and network plus I did a training, uh, never finished my an actual certification because like, as the program progressed, um, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? I'm going to join the military. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up just, uh, you know, like I'm not going to, because the, the job I took in the military was nothing to do with computers. So right. I was like, I'm not going to use the certificate at all. Um, okay. So I'm probably just, you know, not going to take it because at that time we have, you know, you still got to spend money to pay for the light, for the certification, taking the test. So I was like, well, yeah. Um, I'm just going to not do that and just do yeah. the infantry stuff. So yeah. yeah. What led you to that decision? I'm, I'm very curious. Yeah. So to me, uh, I think I felt a debt to the country. So obviously for being a first generation immigrant, like it, it did help out my family, not just my immediate family, but my extended family. Right. I think a couple of us here are pretty thankful on the opportunities that were given to us. And um, I always want to repay my debts. <laughs> and I figured, what's the best way to do this? And I was like, OK, I'm going to join the military, like sign my sign my life a little bit on there. And I was like, I figured <laughs> if I do that and I, I should be I should be at least clear on that one, right? Yeah. So, um, should, should be evened out. So that's kind of what led to it. Um, okay. Initially, I was thinking about joining the Marines. Um, and my mom was like, "No, you're gonna be in combat." And I was like, "Okay." So I joined the Army instead. Still did infantry stuff. Uh, I still chose infantry because like you still got to choose the job. Right. Um. So that kind of what what led up to it. Uh, to yeah. be honest, that's the the decision. And at, at that time, I, I did see a path forward for me. Um, okay. for IT, but. I don't know. Uh, I I just had that urge, and I was was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Um, showed up to the recruiting office um, with all my paperwork, and they were like, oh, sweet, this is an e this is an easy sign up. <laughs> so they just, they just got me there same day. So yeah. Okay, and I think you had mentioned that. So at least initially in the military, you weren't able to do like a computer based job. I, I think I'm trying to remember back to the conversation I had with Joey, where it sounded like there was some kind of a a test where they maybe they try to see where you might be a good fit and then maybe you had options maybe you didn't i don't think joey actually had an option when he got placed where he yeah. did as well so i'm curious how that was for you because i think leading up to this you had kind of seen yourself moving into some some form of the computer life and yeah. role whatever that looked like so like how did that play out at least in the military yeah that's actually a pretty funny question so i actually qualified for all the jobs nice. right i qualified for all of it and i even got like uh, a couple offers for uh, a, a signing up for a job that has bonuses. I think it was like a 30,000 bonus and all that. I mean, military, that's pretty big. It's like, oh, right. $30,000 bonus. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I was like, you know, what? I want to do infantry stuff because that's what I'm you know, excited to do. And that's what, you know, what I think, you know, military should be and all that kind of stuff. So the recruiter definitely gave me a, a somewhat of a hard time on that. Um, they were like, you sure about this? And, and right. I think they were just really looking out for, you know, what I want to do, right? Yeah. Later on in my career. But then after like I signed the paperwork and I was like, yeah, infantry. And I was like, ah, you're, you're definitely going to fit in with them. Like you're, you're making a really <laughs> smart decision. <right> now. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I ended up doing infantry, uh, didn't get the bonus. Um, okay. yeah. And then shipped that, uh, I think four months after I signed. So, okay. And maybe if you want to, I, I don't know if you can summarize, you know, the years that you spent there, but uh, I'm definitely, I'm curious about any, any highlights that you want to share, but also maybe some of the principles that you learned that helped shape who you are or inform who you are today? Yeah, that's a great question. 
I would say, uh, I guess from a military service wise, I, I completed 10 years technically. Um, I did three and a half years in active duty and then six and a half years through the National Guard. Um, in my three and a half years in active duty, I was stationed here in Joint Base Lewis McCord um, as an infantryman. I deployed in Afghanistan. Um, I served my, I served mostly in the reconnaissance platoon within our infantry battalion. So it was more like intel gathering and also um, really, you know, a smaller unit, but it's a different mission, right? It's like, okay, uh, confirming different things and, you know, just gathering intel as much as we can you know, on, a, on, a, on a forward base. Um, when we got to Afghanistan, I mean, that kind of changed because we were still doing like the, the same foot patrols and um, uh, relationship building with the locals and all that stuff. But other highlights, I, you know, I, I, when I first joined, uh, when I got first into the unit, I actually ended up becoming a team leader um, at a very, <laughs> at the age of like 19. And like wow. a couple of the folks that I was in, it was like, uh, these guys have more experience than me. So uh, it was definitely a lot of um, uh, building up to that, uh, to that confidence right yeah. to being able to lead because i you know growing up as a kid it wasn't really something that you know i didn't really play any sports or any, you know, we didn't really have that much sports in the philippines there's a lot of <laughs> playing video games but not not that many sports so um that being that uh that shift right because it's one thing because i was able to do all my stuff like pretty squared away like i got things to standard um and so why they chose me like hey you're pretty squared away like you do this and i was like oh okay cool um so i had to learn that uh through you know uh through my first uh, first year in the military and then i that's when i transitioned after that i transitioned to the reconnaissance platoon where it came became an ic again right so an individual contributor on a specific unit so okay. um but yeah i mean that, i think that was a pretty cool experience uh in, in 20 i would say end of 2013 is when i really started you know thinking through like my options I was like well um i was asking about like well is there more deployments coming up right because uh, I did not like the garrison life. So being stateside and you're an infantry guy, um, you don't really get to do your job as much. And it's not, you know, I, I just remember it was like November and I was just looking and we were doing a, a training mission and we were like, it's three in the morning. I had like 90 pounds on my back. It was raining. I have all my wet weather gear on my backpack. Right. It was like looking into, looking through my, my, uh, nods or night vision goggles. Right. And just looking into the, the corner of it. I was like, what? What am I doing? Like, why, why, why am I? Getting... <laughs> why is it three in the morning and I am here on my knee and I'm taking point security and all that stuff? And I was like, okay, yeah. uh, it's time to probably get out. Uh, so I kind of made the decision to uh, get out there and find about find out about the Microsoft software system scanning. Same thing as what Joey was doing. Okay. Um, I was actually in the second cohort overall for it, so okay. it was a lot of uh, with anything new, they were still trying to figure, you know, they're figuring things out. Um, which you know, to me, the, the opportunity was still pretty, pretty solid. Um, yeah. in terms of like, I guess, principles that carried over a lot of, I would say a lot of things did carry over for me. Uh, I think the, the sense of accountability and responsibility, um, you know, owning your stuff has been, I think been drilled down, uh, to, 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 uh, to me even until now, it's been super useful. Like the, the principles of communication has been something that I carry over, uh, a lot. Uh, so communicating, communicating up, but also communicating out so that mm -hmm. people, you know, either, know what you're doing or so you're aware of what other people are doing um yeah. i think that that carries over even here in the in you know in uh the civilian side um it's amazing how many people a... don't do that like, like I, I really noticed in several of the jobs that i've done you would think communication is low-hanging fruit but that's lost on a lot of people which is striking to me yeah <laughs> yeah you're like uh if you're having an issue right you're like did you ask somebody or did you say say that you're having this right. issue and time boxing and being able to one good thing what the military does teach you pretty good is like being able to describe something 
pretty critical like, or, mm. or, or as concise as possible. Um, in fact, the first job I got out of the military, uh, so I was working at Expedia, right, as an operations analyst. Um, I used my, my skills from the infantry heavily, which you might think, what the heck are you talking about, infantry stuff, in a tech job? I was like, oh, that's... Because, you know, in the military, as I was mentioning, like, you get to communicate a lot. And that's really what, you know, even on the infantry side, that's what we do. Like, we can be like, hey, I'm moving over here and shooting stuff and we're blocking or we're retreating or all that stuff, right? That's what I ended up doing in uh, my first job in operations. Um, so just a quick background of what the operations role was. It was, we were one of the first folks that had to uh, make sure that the site is up. So okay. you'd monitor it, had some different alerts, some, you know, some reports that we do. Uh, but as soon as you see something as an issue, we would, you know, reach out to a couple folks or to actual product owners or engineering teams that are, you know, involved with the service or based on our careers, like, ah, oh, you guys are having issues and it's causing customers X, Y, and Z, right? And we're not getting any bookings. So I would reach out uh, to those folks. And, you know, as I was mentioning, like in the military, we had like this, uh, if we get contacts or if we're getting shot at or whatever, the first thing we do is a 3D. So distance, direction, description. Um, I, sit, I followed a similar concept to where like, that's the thing that I would do. Like I would feed up information the best I can. Like, hey, I'm seeing an issue on, for example, xp.com on just on the EU region on this specific time and this thing, and then feeding that information up, right? Because okay. same, I guess, on, on, on software, like, the more information you have, the more you can actually, you know, troubleshoot and debug. So just saying like, hey, I, I can't work. This is not working, right? Isn't helpful. You still got to be like, is it not working when you click? Is it not right. working when you refresh? Is it working? So you're debugging. So I'm trying to feed that info out to the actual team. So okay. um, that carried over. Um, and again, like the communication piece was yeah. super critical. So. Yeah, I, I love how you drew that that parallel because so many people struggle, and and I did as well when I was trying to make this career change. Is like, you know, I, I used to work on boats and stuff, and <laughs> my, you know, my initial reaction was none of that translates into being a software engineer. But obviously, in hindsight, you know, looking back, just like you said, communication, their basic principles, uh, I think, and the experiences that you've had, regardless mm -hmm. of that industry, they definitely translate. They have parallels. It may not be on that technical level, but there are similarities. And it sounds like, you know, you, you've got an awesome story. I imagine you know how to tell that story. And I, I always stress, <laughs> you know, learn how to tell that story and lean into your own unique perspective. Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely at that time, I would say that I was still working on it. I think in hindsight, over time, I started realizing, oh, I was actually using this skill uh, yeah. Right. Like, cause I think it was just drilled into me that it just came um, in, you know, um, I, I, I just got used to it. Right. I was like, yeah. oh, I, this is what I would do. And you know, just carried over uh, the same principle. But I remember like my first interviews at Expedia, you know, they were asking me like, hey, technical experience. Like, I don't, I can talk to you about filling sandbags on how we make, you know, the, <laughs> we made the process of like, we were able to, you know, instead of filling one sandbag at a time, we were able to create a process to fill six sandbags at a time. So again, yeah. That it will respect efficiency regardless of which industry that you're on. Because that right. does, you know, right. that's what I tell people. Is like my first interview, I had to talk about filling sandbags or how yeah. I was able to expedite cleaning our vehicles by introducing a new process. It's the same yeah. thing. Like it's just that the implementation is, you know, military vehicle <laughs> instead yeah. of a, instead of a software. Right. Yeah. And I'd love to pull on that thread. And maybe before we get to the interview itself, yeah. this transition out of the military and into, mm -hmm. I think you had mentioned Expedia was that first yep. quote unquote tech job. Yep. How did you even get the opportunity to to have that interview? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I actually, so after the program, um, I was able to interview at Microsoft. 
Um, I ended up going to the full five rounder. Um, it's pretty gnarly, uh, if I'm being honest. Like you, I was I think it was 21 at that time. Um, you know, I have four months of boot camp experience, C sharp, right? And then the, the, the you know, getting into data structure. I I will at that time data structures and algorithms wasn't there wasn't too many resources out there for it, right? And you you know and you. you you, you can't, I can't, I wasn't able to prepare as much as I can. Um, I think I ended up getting like um, a two out of, I think five or whatever of the interviews that uh, I passed through. Uh, it kind of was tricky too, though, because on my um, interview loop, they had somebody that was working on the knock. Um, so he actually didn't even know how to code, but you know, I was like, oh, this isn't really lined up with <laughs> the interview that I was prepping for. Right. But that, uh, that experience from, uh, from not being able to be successful at that one specific interview kind of helped me prep for my next interview at Expedia because it was more operation okay. selected. I, if I actually prep more on a similar manner on like how I would debug a specific issue, if there's, if the network is down or if, or, or if the website is down, I would have been able to um, articulate that better on the Microsoft interview, but you know, it worked out well yeah. for me. I think, um, um, after I, I didn't get the Microsoft job, um, Fortunately enough, the uh, one of the programs that we were in, like that's why I always tell um, uh, my mentees or whoever it is that to leverage. If you're in a program, leverage the program as much as you can. If they have a uh, if they have a career transition program, right, or a coordinator that's more connected to you than different other ones, leverage them heavily. You don't yeah. that you, you especially if you paid for it. Like if you paid yeah. for your program and you have they have an alumni network or they have a specific uh, career. Um, career person right de dedicated to your success you should use them like right. don't just go things on your own because uh, that's how i learned my first expedia job um i actually uh, i think he got forwarded into their program um that the expedia role that i landed was a i actually considered it as an apprenticeship um as how i formed it in my head <laughs> uh because it was teaching you a lot of what there is in tech so to be you know to be honest when i joined that when I joined that role, I didn't know what a server was. I, you know, I didn't, well, even though I, I worked on network plus, I didn't know like the web services aspect of it. Right. I was like, I know like, you know, the, the different, um, well, I know what an IP is and all that stuff, but I didn't really have the concept of how would you serve yeah. the Expedia application, right. Or the, the Expedia site. So that was pretty cool. Um, and it, I, I joined at a time when they were transitioning from on-prem to, so on-prem data centers to, uh, to the cloud. Um, and I was like, Oh, this is pretty awesome because that yeah. was like 2014. And I was like, okay, this is, I mean, more, a lot of companies are still doing the transition right now, right. if I'm being honest, but being able to see that, um, and observe, right. And learn from it was super critical to me. Yeah. Um, but, but I hope that answered your question. You answered about like how I ended up in Expedia. Um, yeah, I guess so to get the opportunity. So that was through the network of the program that you were yeah. in that led to yeah. that, the interview. And then, so you briefly had touched on the interview itself. We were talking about sandbag, trying to relate questions they yeah. may have asked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything else there? Like things that went well, things you think you did well, things that you might have bombed in hindsight, but obviously you were still successful. Um, I would say there was some, there was a portion in the interview um, that I remember that they just because they were looking for some general knowledge at least within tech right so they were like you know, they asked me what css is i was like ah oh, css like to styling i was like okay what does it mean like what does css stand for i was like oh right. yeah right <laughs> so i so, like some of those terminologies like oh yeah i was like oh, oh i don't remember i know i can tell you what you know what it does right um 
um, and I was able to describe it. So I think that kind of worked out. Um, a portion of the interview was also on figuring out like how you troubleshoot stuff, right? Because it was operations heavy. So, you know, they asked me, okay, if, if um, Skype was down or if you can't use Skype, what happened, right? So I don't you know. I I went through my checklist and what what I would check for is like okay, did I install an update? Because that's usually <laughs> nothing usually breaks unless there's an update or it's, there's a change, right? Right. Uh, so I was like, did I update it? Is their network down? All that kind of stuff. So I just give a checklist um, on what I usually do okay. because um, although I didn't use my uh, my my uh, tech skill in the military per se, um, I did end up like having to fix a couple of my buddies' um, laptops while we were deployed in Afghanistan, which. Okay was pretty fun. <laughs> so I, yeah. I knew my debugging stuff still. Yeah. Uh, so that kind of helped out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. And so this role was, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't software engineering per se. I think you have it listed on LinkedIn yeah. as an international operations and traffic analyst still sounds really cool. But like, I guess to summarize what you're doing initially there, like what was the the job? Um, Creating dashboards, creating alerts to make sure Expedia is up. That's basically the summary of it. Um, okay. And uh, making sure that we work closely with the NOC, so Network Operations Command, right, to make sure that, you know, if there is a live site incident, we can um, identify it and help with either searching through logs or, you know, um, finding the right teams to uh, to mitigate the issue, right? Because that's okay. kind of what you have to do. The goal of that role is actually to get out of the role. Okay. That's even, that's what they said, like, hey, we want you to, you know, either become a software engineer or something. So it was, it was kind of funny, too, because uh, that role was an hourly role. So it was one of the few tech roles that I know that is like hourly. That was I did four tens, which is pretty awesome at that time. But I was able to transition into a software engineering role uh, after about I want to say a year and a half, because uh, yeah. within the operations role, I started you know started writing some code as best as I can. Uh, I remember like the what I automated one of our reports, um, and you know as I was learning because as I was learning and they didn't really have a pure pipeline for you to like, they weren't giving me like, here, here's the next steps for you to, you know, become a software engineer. So I was kind of learning by myself and I would, like, I'd learn Ruby and then I would, you know, I would ask like the other engineers that are like, you know, I, that are in the company, but like, Hey, mm-hmm. this is what I'm thinking about. Like, what do you think? Um, and then I, you know, one of the things that I did was, you know, like I said, automated reports. Um, one report in particular was something that we used to do for like four hours or five hours each week and automated that out. Um, and then it's funny because like I, I, in hindsight, right, like it was definitely spaghetti code on how I did it. Um, it was definitely web scraping. And I, I remember when I presented to a couple of engineers that were not close to me, like they're like, why didn't you use an API? I was like, uh, why did, well, cause I was, <laughs> it was getting like basically the, the, the scores from uh, Google pages. And I was like, why did you use an API? Why didn't you, why did you just web scrape it? I was like, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> Wanted to show my ability to web scrape just in case that, that was ever needed. So uh, anyway, it kind of worked out. It's like it's you know, um, but it kind of showed, I guess, showed enough initiative to where um, you know, management was able to like, okay, we'll, you know, we'll see what we can do. And then sure enough, like there was a role um on the team that uh is part of our our, our org still, and they were like, Hey, we're gonna be opening up an associate software engineering role. Are you interested? So got a kind of interview to it. But uh, this time around I I, I somewhat prepped. Um uh, and was able to transition to that. And the team that I was going to is the way I right, want to tell people when you transition is that there's two things you really got to think about, right? It's like, it's the domain. Uh, so the knowledge base on the specific area, um, and then the actual job or job skills, right? So mm-hmm. if you're, um, the, the team that I was going to is the platform and tools team and the tools that I was using as an analyst, basically that's the team that I was transitioning to. So I was already familiar with 
all the things that's involved there. So either the metrics or alerting or um, the, the we used Splunk at the time and um, all the other stuff that involved with it. I was already familiar with it because I was already using it in the day job. And then it's just yeah. transitioning from me using it to helping build it. Yeah. So um, it kind of, you know, it's just instead of focusing on the domain knowledge, I was able to focus on the, you know, okay, using my, um, you know, start writing code and, yeah. and contribute to it. So then after a year and a half, I transitioned in after doing an internal interview with it, uh, which to me, it was a, I'll give you a funny experience, um, actually. Um, so one of the, so I, I practiced data structures in Algo, right? I was like, oh, sweet. Was that lead code or did you use something else? No, I used interview cake at that time, if I remember correctly. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with interview cake. I'm not, um, but that that doesn't mean anything necessarily. Okay, cool. Uh, so uh, interview cake was one of the few fewer few resources at that time that provided some like um, data structures in algo um, prep. I actually like them a lot because of the way they structure their problems and how they progressively show like the okay hey you know because usually when you go through you know uh an interview you go like okay i have to you know first i gotta make sure i got clarity on the scope the requirements and all that stuff next piece is um make sure i validate with the interview like this is what you want like is is it reversing a string like is this the output that i want right is there specific constraints right and then you pseudo code and then you you really try to get at least at the very at the very least pseudo code pseudo coding um a naive solution, either through brute force or whatever, right? Because you want to have a functioning solution before you, 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 uh, you, you optimize it, right? Yeah. Um, so, so pseudocode and then start writing the actual code and then refine, refine, refine. After you test, you refine. Um, I was uh, I was kind of prepping for that, and InterviewK kind of helped with that because they would be like, "Hey, okay, did you?" So one of the problems that they give is like, "Okay, if you have, I think it's if you have, uh, you need to figure out which how high an egg can be." drop from a 100 foot floor right and you have two eggs right how can you you know figure it out with it, the least amount of executions and you know the first one's like well i'm just gonna do a you know a brute force and i'll just yeah. <laughs> drop it every single time right? right and then where it drops is where it drops right yeah. you know that's the naive solution the second solution is like using a binary search right like you go in half and half and then try and drop the first one and see from there you can just move up right but they do that right they do that um and i like that uh kind of pattern because sometimes you don't have somebody to really practice with, right? Um, yeah. But now, well, I should say now you have a lot more opportunities because a yeah. lot more resources are out there for you. I think there's yeah. a resource um, that I used uh, before when I was transitioning from, uh, when I was trying to get into uh, Microsoft. Um, they're called Interviewing IO, I believe. And it's basically, they do whiteboarding interviews. Um, well, at that time, um, I'm not sure if it changed, but they do whiteboarding interviews uh, you're actually going to be paired up with a hiring manager from a different company because okay. they're trying to practice their, <laughs> they're probably trying to practice their hiring manager skills, right? They will yeah, give you a fair. question and you'll, and you, you guys kind of practice both each way. So yeah. um, it was pretty cool. Um, and sometimes like that could lead into opportunities, but I think that was another opportunity. That was another resource that I used, but that was later okay. on when I was transitioning to Microsoft. Okay. Oh, yeah. Going back to the funny story. So I was practicing on data structure now <laughs> before I went to this tangent, going to this data structure and algorithm prep, right? I ended up doing that. And then one of the interviewers was uh, one of our principal engineers, which was pretty funny. Um, Cause I worked with him uh, before and cause he was in our immediate team. And, you know, he goes like, you know what? When I got to there, I was like, I want you to like draw a star using Python code. I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, 
all right, let's go do this. And I, I was just trying to figure that out. And uh, you know, there's obviously no data sources now go that I could use for that one. So I ended up using my land navigation skills from the military onto nice. figuring out how to uh, draw a star. And yeah. um, you know, I obviously asked some clarification questions like, okay, what's the degree of angle, right? Because it's basically repeatable. And right. I was just thinking to my head, I was like, okay, if I had a compass and I have to navigate this out, like how would I change my things? Because it's basically the land navigation is how I use and that was the pattern that that was the mental model that I was using yeah. for it. And even he was like puzzled, like, what are you, what are you doing? I was like, right. just let me do my thing. And Bear with me, answer the question. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me solve this real quick in, my, in the way that I kind of right. think through, right? Because I wasn't able to prep for that. I was like, no one's going to ask me about solving a, you know, using a star. But yeah, he ended up publishing a blog, uh, a quick blog, but it's pretty funny because I was like, oh. I, 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 that was one of the situations where my my skills from the military definitely translated. Yeah, um, so you yeah, got was, it. Yeah, I was able to get it. <laughs> nice. So that was pretty pretty rad. Um, yeah, and then I got into the job. Uh, ended up owning uh, one of our monitoring services, monitoring and learning services, and one of our back and back office uh, systems, which was um, used to uh, make sure Expedia gets paid. So when Expedia you know sells a ticket. We have to go to the actual airlines, but hey, sold this X, Y, and Z. Please get us paid. Yeah. Um, which to me was, in hindsight, is a pretty good responsibility. You give yeah. full ownership to somebody like that in, in an associate <laughs> engineering role, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's you know. And I came into the role with like when I, when I got to that product, I was like, oh, you know, this needs additional alerting, reporting, and all that stuff. So I kind of used my previous experience and also helped build it out. Um, yeah, that was pretty fun. But over time, I think um, I, I stuck to that for about a year. I was, you know, learning a job. And the funny thing is, like, the the the, the, the products I was working on, it's all written in, like, different languages. Uh, the, the monitoring and learning platform was in Java. One of our automation, uh, automating and alerting. Well, our, our resiliency item, uh, resiliency product, uh, it's in-house. So it was written in C Sharp. And then I was also working on, um python at that time too so i was like learning doing these three languages and all that stuff so that was pretty pretty hectic how'd you um, juggle that before you go on just because i know that that you know, that's translatable to pretty much anyone out there listening if they're either in the field just getting started or they're hoping to get into the field they're definitely going to run into that i run into that i'm curious how you tackled that yeah so to me um it was a lot of uh since you know c sharp and c c sharp and java were pretty Close synthetic, uh, um, syntax wise, right? Um, and the behaviors are fundamentally the same. Like I think a string is still a string, regardless of. Well, I shouldn't say that because you know JavaScript is <laughs> another thing to itself. Another way it treats strings um, or, or value. So uh, I think fundamentally, I was able to just translate. And if I find anything that's specific to that um, language, I ask my my yeah. leads about it. Um, you know, I don't. I the way so the way I uh, handle things like that is I do. Three things, right? The first one is I tried myself, um, but before I, I tried to try it myself, have a goal, I time box it, and I time box it on a specific time. Um, write down everything at uh, anything I tried, and then go ask, okay. right? Because it's one thing to you know you can suffer in silence if you want and be like I'm gonna go figure this out, but sometimes for me I was like, well, I could do because I did that a couple of times, right? And it's, it's kind of it became a hindrance um, hmm. to. To getting the product shipped or to, yep. to getting the work done, so I was like, "Well, you know what? I'm gonna start time boxing," and I've been using that every single time. Um, yeah, because it's it, there's obviously some use. There's actually not some. There is value in you trying to solve it yourself. You have to right. make those connections because you can't just ask somebody every single time. Right. Um, 
and you know time boxing kind of forces that so you actually can have like okay i did this for like four hours now or three hours whatever that time is right and you wrote down the things and then you get to ask and you i i feel a little bit more confident um going out and say hey this is what i tried next one yeah. you can tell me like where can we go from there well, it helps them to, too, right? It makes oh, it a lot yeah, for easier sure. for them to help you. Uh, knowing what you've tried <laughs> and seeing that you've put in the effort, it makes them probably yeah. a lot more willing to help you as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because like, I think the first couple ones, right, when the rafis, I was like, hey, have you tried? And then, what what have you tried? I was like, and then that was a recurring thing. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that first before going to them, right? Yep. And um, I know for me, like I'm as a senior product manager, when I, somebody comes into me, I would ask like, what have you tried? You know, right. And not just like, not to me being like, I don't want to help you. It's more of like, I want you to help yourself because, you know, that's really useful too. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, that, the juggling was pretty tricky. Uh, if I'm being honest, um, I had to. It, it was more of I wasn't too worried about the syntax anymore because I know I can learn the syntax pretty sure. quick. It was more understanding like how uh, the design patterns were, or like okay. why is this thing doing this, um, and that was probably the area that I was really ramping up on. Okay. Yeah, I mean that, that's how I handle it to yeah. be honest no, there's no good. easy there's no, no easy way good. to do it during my time there one year um i did you know i, I said i owed a couple of things but at the same time like we were getting incidents <laughs> left and right so i my thinking was like Man, i'm gonna grow this role because i'm gonna have some free time to you know code this up and all that stuff so i was like okay i'm gonna do this and then incidents we, we ended into a cycle where we, i would just ended up just getting hammered on some incidents i was like I'm not able to learn anymore or not mm. able, not able to have the time to do that. Yeah. Um, and I was like, okay, I need to you know, figure out what's next for it. Um, so I ended up uh, leaving. Um, that's one of the, so that was one of the reasons, but the same, the other reason was, so when I joined Expedia, uh, like I said, I was hourly, right. Um, it was probably in the lowest uh, totem pole there. Um, my starting sal my starting um, pay was about $20 an hour, right. Okay. As an operations analyst, uh, which I guess to me, it was, you know, now that I'm going to talk to people about it, like, wow, okay, that's really low. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like learning, right? Learning, yeah. or learning, somewhat earning. So that's right. why I treated it. Um, but that kind of um, did not set me up real well on when I transitioned to software engineering because the role, the, the that's why I think it's really important to for people to know the, the, the value within the market on, you know, what you're in, right? Um, because at that time, like I was, um, you know, when I transitioned, I was expecting to be at least on even, even let's just say even below the average, but I was way, way below because yeah. of the, how much the, the company would have to catch up in order to get to that proper baseline of an right. associate role. Like I was like, hey, I ended up, I started at like 50 or whatever. Okay. Uh, it was relatively low. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, at least I'm learning, yeah. if, um, you know, if you're learning, at least you're, you're, you're getting something out of it, but um, when I wasn't learning anymore, I was like, oh man, I'm getting, getting hemmed yeah. up on this, on this, uh, these things. And it was like, okay, it's time for me to you know, reevaluate my strategy. Nico, I remember in my own career back when I was working on the boats and then managing the boats, the exact same thing happened to me where at the beginning, it seemed like, I guess the, the level of entropy and chaos was just, it was manageable and it was, uh, it was cool for me because I just discovered programming as well. And I was able to experiment on the side, you know, learn Python Mm -hmm. create uh, what I thought was a pretty cool, you know, Google Sheets, interconnected Google Sheets to track mm -hmm. our fleet, all the critical spares parts and everything. And over the years, you know, to your point, it sounds like exactly what happened with you with the incidents you were getting. Yeah, it it got to the point where, you know, nights and weekends, everything was just like crisis control as opposed yeah. to having enough time to learn and grow. 
you know, in the role and also as the person that I wanted to become eventually. So I'm just, I'm so glad you pointed that out. And I just wanted to kind of highlight that point because I know I went through that as well. And I would encourage anybody out there listening, if, and when you experience that, you know, I think Jocko Willink, who I think you, I think I saw that in your yeah. resource list as well, you know, detach, zoom out and yeah. assess and see what's going on and then see what you want to do instead of just going along with it. So thank you yeah, for sharing for sure. that. No, thank you. Uh, it's awesome to hear somebody else has the same experience. Um, yeah. cause it's pretty awesome. And yeah, cause I ended up, uh, you know, at that point, I, I had to really figure out like, what's next, right. I can grind through this again for the next, and it was not a good time anymore. And I was like, okay. And just so happened at that year, um, the GI bill got passed for coding boot camps. So it was like, uh, I was like, okay, there was a sign. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> right. I was like, I got, I got my GI bill. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I had a couple of coworkers that um, graduated at Code Fellows. And I think uh, Joshua kind of thing on the last podcast that I was yeah. listening to, he was also graduated from yeah. it. So I had a couple of coworkers that also graduated from it. And, you know, I think they were doing pretty good. And I was like, okay, you know what? They got qualified for GI Bill or, or the, the, the that program got qualified for GI Bill. I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to take, I'm going to take off and do that full time. And, you yeah. know, um, I, I uh, pulled my two weeks and did that. Um, I, uh, when I joined the program, it was actually quite humbling, if I'm being honest, because um, when I joined the program, I think a week after I joined, I saw the job listing for my old job, <laughs> mm. and and the, my classmates at that time, yeah, the classmates at the time were like, oh, let's apply for this one. I was like, don't do it. <laughs> I was like, great, that was my job. <laughs> and, and to me, I was like, oh, okay. So I'm, um, you know, and it, it, it kind of gave me a, you know, a step like people are, you know, it kind of gave me a perspective, like, okay, kind of. To be honest, it did kind of guilt me, but at the same time, I was like, you know what, I'm doing this for myself. You have to, you know, yeah. you have to understand what you need to do, right? And I was thinking, about it, I was like, man, like, I, because I had some, uh, some kind of remorse. I'm like, did I just leave a, you know, a role that because obviously these like 30 other folks here are trying to That's apply for it, like, right, right? And I'm like, I was the person that just left that role. Yeah. So you know, I'm happy to talk to you about it and all that stuff. But you know, it, it was kind of good experience, and I, you know, again, like, if I if I'm paying for the program, I'm gonna utilize it the best I can. Like if you know, if I'm paying you X amount of money, like if you have TAs, I'll be bothering your TAs. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be, right. you know, I'll be like, hey, you know, it was this and all that stuff. And again, like I would time box myself and do that effort and then help other yeah. people out. Like, you know, for I was because at that time I was very experienced with um, version controls, all that stuff, and you know, boot camps that's usually fairly new. And you know, talking to folks about debugging and yeah. you know, one of my first one of the talks I did was like, how would you? Because the thing I taught a lot of boot camp guys is like, hey, great, that's you were able to run it on your local machine right? What happens when you deploy it? Yeah. Like you're not going to console log it on your local machine. You have to figure out something else to this. And then, you know, trying to explain that out to at least help them understand that, that concept. Cause you know, yeah. when you go to actual companies, you, you don't just deploy your local machine, you yeah, deploy right. to something and it's not just a pass that just takes a GitHub repository. In fact, sometimes it's going to be, yep. you push a repo, get into a Docker container, push to a registry and then gets deployed somehow either through you've got teammates or you've got yeah. conflicts you've got to resolve it's, it's a whole different yep. ball game for sure let me ask you yep. Niku, so the the gi bill mm -hmm. what was the thought process behind the code fellows boot camp path versus a quote-unquote traditional four-year degree was it the opportunity cost you were trying to expedite your timeline or were there other considerations assuming that they would pay for everything either way yeah uh, i think it was combination of both and so to me it was again like it kind of helped knowing a couple of the grads that were able to do the things, right? So it kind of gave a little bit of confidence there. Okay. Um, and then, as you just mentioned, the timeline, right? Like 
when you're trying to get skills, there's many different options to get it, right? You right. can go apprenticeship, you can go to a school, you can go like a traditional school path, right? Or you can go to a boot camp, highly intensive, or you can find another program that, you know, helps train you, right? It's not a boot camp, but maybe a training program for like, you know, like Empower, for example, yeah. right? Um, and yeah, I think to, at that time I was like, well, timeline, I already knew a couple of folks that were, you know, graduated from this program. Do I really want to spend four years going to college or can yeah. I just grind it out for three years or I mean, so three, three to four months at Cornfell's. Right. And I did that. Um, yeah. And, you know, that, that kind of uh, worked itself out for me um, when I landed at Microsoft. So. Yeah. And I, I want to weave in some of the hobbies now because I also, mm-hmm. I personally enjoy this one. At this point in your career or at this point in your transition, rather, were you familiar with the FIRE movement? Yes. Well, I, I shouldn't say the FIRE movement itself. Um, right. I think the concept of financial independence uh, was brought to me. Uh, funny enough, by one of my um, my managers at Expedia, bought me the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. Um, and our, one of Robert our- Kiyosaki. Yeah. One of our one-on-ones was like, hey, um, I think I think you'll be a guy that will enjoy reading this. And I was like, nice. all right, cool. I read this out and I was like, oh, signed up. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely, uh, you know, I, if I, I know that book has, you know, it's pretty great. Some folks have their opinions on it, but at the very least it did help me understand um, money in terms of psychology wise. Um, yep. And yeah, I, 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 I took it to heart and then yeah. went from there. I think, I think it was pretty awesome. Um, okay. And I've been yeah. on that journey now since, to be honest, since 20, I would say since 2017 has 2017. been when I, yeah. Okay. So, and that was about the, it looks like that was pretty close in the same timeline because I think if I'm reading your timeline correctly, it looks like after, maybe it's after this boot camp that you actually mm-hmm. had the opportunity to join Microsoft as a yeah. site reliability engineer. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to gloss yeah. over that, that transition, but maybe you want to briefly summarize your experience with the boot camp and then that transition into Microsoft. Yeah, sure. So boot camp uh, was pretty good, pretty solid. Um, I mean, I think it, at least in my experience, right? It depends on what effort you put in and what, what your expectations are. Uh, to me, it kind of met my expectations. I was went there to learn full stack. I was like, okay, I learned full stack. I was able to deploy in the back end and also front end stuff. Um, but also, uh, you know, I got to work with a couple of folks um, I, I, I do keep in touch with right now. Like um, uh, one of them is Mike and, you know, he's doing great stuff. And, you know, I think it, it was a good network for me um, or at least good, great connections there. Uh when I was on our last week, on our project week, that's when I think uh, I would say two weeks, three weeks before that, I started really um, looking into the option. Like, which companies am I applying to? And uh, so it happens, Microsoft called me back. So I was like, okay, cool. And they were like, hey, you want you know this this software engineering role, right? Or do you, you're interested in software engineering role? I actually was the one that says like, hey, I I want to do site reliability engineering, mm-hmm. um, just because that was something I was, you know, super passionate about, even at at Expedia, right? Because I, I think that also kind of helped pave the the way to it. You're like, I enjoyed the incident management. And I, yeah. to be honest, um, it you know, not just incident management, just making sure the live side is up. That I enjoyed that responsibility. Um, so I told them about that and they were like, oh, okay, cool. I think we have something, you know, in line with that. So I ended up uh, doing my, doing my five round interview on the last week of project week on okay. Code Fellows. So that kind of did add a little bit of stress, but you know, I told my my project team because we were working at the time. I was like, "Hey, uh, I might be a little bit late, uh, pulled back on this in terms of commitment. I got this other thing that, yeah, that I need to thing. make sure I Not crush. That this isn't. Yeah, <laughs> I need to make sure that I crush. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, towards my entire time in the program, I was already starting to prep for data structures and algorithm questions. Um, 
So that kind of helped me uh, with those interviews. And, you know, the Microsoft interviews were pretty, pretty standard. It was like a, it was a five round interview um, and, and, you know, system design to coding interviews and behavioral. And then obviously one of the last ones were um, the, I guess it was, a, I think it was a culture interview or whatever, okay. but yeah. you know, that's, that's how it kind of played out. And yeah, I think my experience at Expedia um, helped out heavily on system design because I didn't prep on system design actually. Um, but it helped with the architecture and I realized what, you know, a multi-region um, the deployment would be or like how would I would design something that's going to have a failover and like different databases and all that stuff. Like that's why, you know, I still credit Expedia's, um, the first role of Expedia to helping me have yeah. that um, field view, field of view, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I was able to utilize it. And yeah. um, I think a detail I did gloss over or I didn't cover it was in 2014, I think 2014, 2015, I did take a cloud training program uh, through Cloud Genius and I get it through the military too. <laughs> nice. So for some reason I found, I don't, I don't remember how I found out about the program, but I guess the one thing I'm really good at is finding programs. So yeah. that's what I'm, I'm, I'm good for. So I was like, okay, hell, they'll, hey, they're paying for, you know, this cloud program or you interested? I'm like, heck yeah. yeah. So that, again, that, that gave me some found, fundamental knowledge to, to do things. So yeah. Yeah, it helped out my, uh, my my interviews, and I got the job at Microsoft in September 2027, uh, 2017, if I remember correctly. So, When you were going through that interview, was there any doubt in your mind going back to that interview that you, I get that, I think you had done with them very early on in that program, transitioning out of the military and into that, that same program that, that Joey had done? Were there any doubts, or were you confident in the things that you had learned since then and how you had grown? Um, I think I was a bit more confident, um, right. if I'm being honest. Uh, I knew that, at least having seen the role at, at, at Expedia, um, I knew that this the data structures and algorithm piece is just part of really just the, just the process. It really yeah. it just is part of the process, and everybody goes through it. Um, it does help, but I would say that uh, that initial initial experience on the coding interviews on back in 2014 did... I made sure I don't do the same problem, mm. uh, not do the same uh, um, mistakes I did. Yeah. So That's I, uh, yeah, I, I hemmed up on the research analysis because one of the reasons why I think I, I failed out was like I know I um, I had a brain fart on one of a uh, uh, one of our interview questions. I think it was a a matrix that I had to. Um, this is back in twenty fourteen. One of, uh, I had to, I think, sort a matrix in a specific manner, and I, I forgot it right now. But I. I drilled that. <laughs> I drilled that on my next on my next interview just yeah. because I, I just want to make sure I know. So yeah, I, I covered a lot on on my data structures and algorithm um, program. And you landed this role at Microsoft as the SRE. It looks like you worked in that role for maybe a year, maybe not quite. And then it looks like you found the world of product manager or product management yeah. <laughs> rather. So yeah. you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I got into the SRE role. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, and then I worked on, so SRE, right, you still, you still code. It's just that you're, you're focused more on production um, uptime. So one of the teams, that, the team I joined is the, the build-out team. Um, one of the things that I worked on was some code to help uh, other teams build their systems out faster with, if you have a new data center or a new region in Azure. So um, one of the projects I worked on, worked on for like, I wouldn't say two or three months, three or four, two to three or four months, um, I, I ship, right. And I was like, oh, sweet. Can't wait for everybody to use it or that's what I thought. And then not many people use it. And I was like, why, why mm -hmm. did this happen? Right. And I was like, okay. 
and then um the more i started digging into that and you know it's not that that's when i realized it's not just enough for you to build something because you have to you know you have to build the right thing for you know the right people yeah. the, right the right problem you have to be the right team for and all that kind of stuff right um and i was asking like who decides <laughs> and that's what kind of led me to the role of product management um because you know i have aspirations of building my own company and all that stuff and that's why i really wanted to do coding i was like okay you know when i can code i can do that stuff and then from um from that perspective on that specific thing i realized like oh i think i need to also know product management so in fact um uh i think it was six months in or seven months into my role i told my manager at that time like hey um, I'm eyeing for a product management position, probably a year or year or two out, right? Because obviously I'm on transition out. But just so happens, a year into me being at Microsoft, we had one of our PMs leave. The PM within my team leave. So again, I was on those on on that cycle of, I know the domain. Yeah. <laughs> I just need the skills. Yeah. So they were like, Hey, you said you want to do some PM stuff. Do you want to do some PM stuff? I was like, Yes, I'll nice. let's do it. So I. At that time too, I was starting on like the first two or three months within my program. Um, and I, you know, I was taking, I was going through UW, University of Washington's uh, continuing education. They have a, a product management course there. I was on the first portion of it when this happened. And I was basically, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. So I did it. It was actually a pretty, uh, pretty great time. Um, I would yeah. say there was a lot of challenges for sure. Um, it's kind of hard to, it actually reminded me of my time in the military when uh, I was telling you, like you, you had some folks that have more experience a little bit, and then you're kind of leading. Um, similar case. Yeah. <laughs> the team I was on had three principal engineers, at wow. right, and three principal engineers that are considered leads within the 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 area. And we were on the 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 month that the, the PM left was our planning session within Microsoft. So mm, <laughs> I got locked in with these guys, and I was like. You know, it went from at me asking, "Hey, what 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 tickets do I need to work on?" or those kind of stuff to like, "Hey, they asking me like, hey, what do we need to build on?" And I was right. like, "Oh, that's a great question." So yeah. uh, definitely leaned a little bit more on them on yeah. on those, but you know, I think it was a, it was a great time, and you know, I got to you know got to work with some amazing folks there. Um, yeah, I just remember I just remember that we we got we 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 put ourselves in a meeting room like all three all four of us, and you know just grind out like figuring out the next next steps and you know and got some pizza afterwards <laughs> yeah you know very passionate people obviously right. like um and different priorities and just making sure that you know we, we have something good so i, I think that was pretty uh, i'm curious and i know i won't be the only one that's curious did you just kind of lean into the experience that was in the room did you maintain that that humble nature and try to play to other strengths to come up with a game plan like is that was that the approach or no, to me, it was actually a lot of driving clarity. Uh, so again, I used another mental model from the military, surprisingly. So in the military, <laughs> probably say a lot in the military. So in the military, there's like two two sides, right? There's the officer side, so the commission side. Those are the ones that are you know, setting the intentions, what we're doing, why we're doing things, all that kind of stuff. And then the enlisted side, which I came from, the ones that are actually doing the execution. In my mental model, it's a similar thing. Product management is on the officer side. You define what, the why, right? Why we're we doing this thing, when we need to do this. And then you have the, the engineering side more on the execution or like getting things done and how, right? right. And even in the military, the, the officers rely on the engineering side or, or on, the, on the enlisted side, right? Because they have, it's usually, you get paired up with somebody that's been in the military for a bit, like over 10 years and you're coming out of 
just college and you're you're assigned to them right and you usually lean into them so that i use that model heavily i was like hey okay. i think this is this is what we should do or whatever and can you you know help me out on this or like can we help define this out and you know they did you know they did definitely tested me when i was in, in that room because um they're like hey you know what do you think of this and all that stuff and i'm like hey maybe some my experience in here and they're based on priorities and i definitely leaned into a couple of the pms um and i was pretty open with them i was like hey you know how can i you know how can i approach this um yeah. and you know fortunate enough that i had a supportive um pm um team at that time yeah and kind of helped me uh, walk through those those different challenges but yeah i mean it, it, the three uh three principles were also aware that i was transitioning sure. from Sure. They were they were giving me a hard time though. I was like, why did you go to the dark side? I was like, well, <laughs> you know what? Maybe not. <laughs> it's a good icebreaker. Because the month before that, I just got promoted from a to a software engineer too, and I was like, we we just promoted you. <laughs> like, right? Why are you now you're flipping? Thing? I was like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, yeah. uh, to me, it was just it was pretty funny. I was pretty thankful on it, and the team was pretty supportive. It was a great transition for sure. Yeah. And from there, I decided to you know because it was an internal product internal. It was for a platform tooling. Um, so a lot more internal customers. And I got to practice that a little bit easier because in, in the product management side, if you're consumer or if external facing, it's a little bit trickier to get customers. But uh, if you're internal, you get to meet, message them an email. Like, hey, right. what do you think of this thing? Like, hey, can you what can you do better for it? And I started yeah. doing that. Um, and then a couple of reorgs happened, all that stuff. And then I decided to like, I want to work on something that's a little bit more external. And that's when I transitioned into you know, started looking into internally within Microsoft, like what okay. other um, positions are there for product management? Because to me, it was a little bit easier to transition internally. Yeah. Because even on, on the internal rounds, I was having a hard time because people would be like, hey, you don't have like the business. So I actually ended up building my own business to fill that gap. So I ended up selling backpacks, um, designing it and all that stuff. To me, the same concept applies, right? Regardless of you uh, being building a software product or a physical product, there are concepts that carry over. You're still doing design. You're still doing market research. You're still doing customer interviews and like what's helpful and what's not helpful. And you're iterating. So I still did that. It's just the difference is that on software engineering, you can do that iteration very quickly. Yeah. Could be in the minutes, hours, days on the backpack side. It was taking me weeks or months, yeah. right? To get that feedback because right. I had to talk to the manufacturer and be like, hey, I need this backpack thing. Um, can you change this buckle or whatever? So um, I used that, that heavily on my product interviews, actually. Uh, they, yeah. they, I had a bullet like, hey, I've sold uh, X amount of backpacks, right? This is the rating for it to kind of give um, uh, a signal to hiring managers that I have built a product, yeah. um, that it has, you know, it has delivered value. Here's the rating. Sure, it's not a million people that's using it, right? It's like maybe a hundred, I think it was a hundred people that was using it. But regardless, it delivered a value yeah. it solved a problem right because right. that's the entire thing as a product manager you have to do like you have to find a problem right that is aligned to the business and you were able to sell it so yeah and, and again you and, did this specifically as like proof of concept that you could make this transition into pm or was it something else as well mixture uh it was a mixture of the fire stuff well the financial right. independence stuff and also the that i was like it just both played out i was like oh i see an opportunity doing these two things like yeah. it made sense now right so i did yeah. that um, with a buddy of mine so the backpack was a uh, backpack for military folks that are okay. infantry guys, really. So okay. I had the domain knowledge, like like what backpack would I want if I was building one, and yeah. I used that, yeah. right, and then found a manufacturer to uh, to get it executed out. Is that business so, still ongoing? 
no, we, <laughs> no we, shut it down. I also did. I, I also, yeah, I was shut down. Uh, we also had some learnings on pricing for sure. Cause I was like, okay. it has to be affordable and all that stuff. And I yeah. was like, okay. Cause when, when we started selling it for sure, like people were like, man, this is actually a pretty good price uh, for, got it. for what you guys are delivering. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we got pinched by a manufacturer that, you know, they upped our price um, mm. by uh, 25%, I think. And then I was like, ah, this, got it. you know, it, it became a, a question and how much more we're willing to invest. Yeah. And we're like, hey, we're just gonna step away from this. Um, yeah. that's what we did. Yeah, no, I get that. It's still cool. Good, good experience either way. And so I think I see you were at Microsoft in that role for about four years before you transitioned into your current one. What uh I guess what prompted that move was just a different or better opportunity at your current company? Yeah, I guess on that four years at as a product manager or I so I went from Azure, right? I was working in Azure and then I went went to Windows on my last two and a okay. half years. Okay. Uh, I worked on uh, developer um, platforms for notifications specifically, okay. and that was pretty great too. I was loved it because uh, you yeah. had to work with external customers and work on APIs. Because one of my things was like I want to remain technical, right? So it was like the platform side is definitely the the house for it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, um, I guess jumping over to when I transitioned uh, or when I left uh, last year, I left last year mainly because again it was actually more for financial independence really driven. Okay. It was actually kind of a hard decision for me. Um, well, a couple of different things. So one, I was willing to do it, wanting to do a change um, because working at Windows at a time, our release cycle was really, I went from us releasing, <laughs> so a, a weekly release being too long for me, going to Windows, which is like a yearly or by year, you know, um, every six months release, right? So that was me, I was like, oh man, uh, this kind of sucks. But yeah. at the same time, it was a different problem. And it was really getting into the the, the weaves of like, um, technical detail, which is awesome because you were working an operating system. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. So I got yeah. to see, I got to see what, how that works. Um, and the answer no longer because coming from the cloud side, the usual answer is scale out, right? Like, Hey, I have this memory issue or like this performance issue. Go add another box. Yeah, you know, you're good boxes. to go. Like we're, at, yeah, <laughs> we're good to go. But on operating system is like, no, you got this, this is your memory limit. Right. right. I mean, and then you have Actual to constraints. You have that memory constraint, right? Yeah. So I was like, oh man, it's super gnarly. Um, so I got to learn about that experience and obviously uh, Windows being such a big product used by a billion people. Um, there's so much, uh, there's so much things you get to learn. It's like, because it's deployed in different models. You know, you got people deploying this on their personal computers. You have, you have actual people that's using this for, um, for business reasons, right? So they have different, and I got to learn about this different scenarios and it really gave me a good breath um going from just like a, a b2c experience from expedia to b2b and azure like cloud specific and then this one to where it's like a hybrid where it's yeah. like okay cloud but also you can think about on-prem stuff and also the developer experience for building these products so and you know shipping in sdk and all that stuff so that's pretty cool yeah and yeah and then i transitioned into after doing that for a bit i was like you know what i, I want to get back to um Faster shipping pace, right? I mean, the, the difference is that, you know, on that on the Windows side, it's like a little bit slower, but at the same time, you don't really have to worry about live site incidents because you can't really just patch Windows machines like that, right? Like, I'm sure you you, you get a Windows update, you just ignore it. You don't, you don't right. unless it's a, it's a, unless it's a system admin, like doing a force patch on your machine, right. you don't usually do it, right? So that was a kind of thing. Um, so yeah, and then I found this role at uh, Salesforce that was a little bit more aligned to what I was kind of looking for, like, okay, a little bit more fast paced, Walk back in the cloud and still technical, and just so happens that when I, you know, when I interviewed this out, like I was like, oh, 
sweet. Like I get a really big, big bump um, mm. on on my uh, on my compensation and funny because the last uh, I think the last year I was at when at, at Microsoft I was really pushing for my senior role. I actually got promoted on my senior role on February and I left, <laughs> which is kind of uh, was kind of an awkward uh, say kind of an awkward time because. I actually got my offer at Salesforce that Friday. And on Monday, I got my promotion at uh, Microsoft. Wow. So I was like, okay. Um, like, hey, Emotional roller know. coaster. What to do? Yeah, I was like, hey. <laughs> I was like, hey, guys. Thanks, you know, bud. <laughs> appreciate y'all. But yeah, yeah, I got this. And and they really, and they obviously tried to uh, let me stay. But it just so happens that, I, you know, even like if it was like, hey, even if we, uh, if we match and all that stuff, I was like, I think even if you match, like I would want to work on something different. I was just yeah. that, you know, that season where I like want to do yeah. something else. It was kind of tough because like I really love the team. Uh, just I wanted, I was looking for something else, right? Well, that was illuminating too. Like even if they would have been willing to match whatever that massive pay bump was, yeah. I feel like that that's another nugget of wisdom that you can file away. Is like okay, at any point in time here, especially because I'm on this financial independence journey, you know, mm-hmm. I can play that hand whenever I want to. So there, there's power in that as well. That's actually really important. Thanks for calling that out. I had to look at that. I was like, hey, you know, what's more important, right? Like, you know, like this this thing or this thing. And I, I was pretty honest with my um with my management too. So it was yeah. like, look, it's not you guys, not that. Like, to, to be honest, it's more of a you know a decision to me to really expedite my um my financial independence, yeah. right? And I was like, this you know to me this cuts in, you know, I think I was at that time I was like forecasting like maybe this cuts in an additional two or three years from my timeline i was like okay let's let's go do it right like yeah. i'm i'm let's do it so i did that um and then transitioned last year um and yeah i've been, been the same role ever since or a year and a half uh, or a year and three months i guess um doing the same thing i did um worked on cloud hub 1.0 uh the way you think about it, it's like uh the i try to explain what MuleSoft is so are you familiar with zapier yes automations okay, so. right yeah, automation. So it's similar like that. Um, it's an integration platform, but this one's more specifically for enterprises. Okay. Where you think about it, um, a good analogy that I would use is like if it's a think of it as Windows, right? You can install Windows on your PC. You can install Windows on the cloud. You can install Windows on on your data center and all that stuff. Similar to that. Um, uh, and you know, its main thing is integrating different uh, different um, different data and data sources and different platforms, but also it's um, building APIs. So it's like making, building APIs and, and connecting legacy systems to newer systems a lot easier. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm pretty down for that. Like I'm, yeah. I, I'm sure like you've, you've worked on some projects like that before where you're like, Hey, this database that we have to get to this, this legacy data is there and it's important and all that stuff. And you remember like all those things that you have to write up and it's usually a bit, yeah. um, this, what, that's what kind of mutual stuff does make it, make okay. it, makes it easier to expose those things. Yeah. And, um, what I work on is on the on the deployment of it. So I work on the cloud offering. So instead of being it on-prem or on your local machine, <laughs> it's on deployed into the cloud. So um, that's what I do. So I make sure that the Mule applications that are deployed on our hosted environment is, you know, probably patched and okay. maintained. Don't, they don't have to worry about the infrastructure and all that stuff. So. Selfishly, I want to transition here and talk about some of the other things that you're working on. I've got your tech resources from your website pulled up yeah. on my other screen. And when did you, so I guess maybe you want to explain what it is. It seems to be like an ongoing list of different programs, primarily 
well, maybe it's not just apprenticeships, but maybe programs that are similar to that to help people on ramp into the industry. You want to kind of explain what this is? What was the the origin for it? Yeah, sure. It's one of those things where a lot of people reach out to me like, hey, you in tech, but I want to learn more about how can I transition and all that stuff. I was answering the exact same question all the time. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm writing this email every single time. And I was like, you know what? I'll self-serve you. I think that the product manager in me was like, there's, there's, a, <laughs> there's a need here. And there's something I have been redoing over and over and over. Let me go, you know, let me yeah. just go empower you to self-serve yourself, right? And that kind of go go for me. And, and, and to me, I also realized that uh, I was fortunate enough to find a program that was able to kickstart my career. I hope that, you know, I can um, uh, pay that forward to others. And that's, you know, why I, one of the main reasons why I really have this out is like, I want to help you transition in tech, right? Like yeah. either, you know, depending on what it is that you're you're having a, trouble and if you're finding and having a hard time finding an opportunity or if you're just really starting out and I'm trying to figure out like is tech for me and you, you're not even a, you know you, you just want to see like what the free resources are because some people are you know financially constrained about that right yeah. like that's why I also listed that out right everything right now I have apprenticeships career transition programs self-paced resources community because I think community having a community is super important and you know mentorship programs because mentors yeah. are also pretty awesome yeah. um I divided it out to that. Just like apprenticeships, I you know, I'll, one shift that the industry did was they found a value in people with diverse backgrounds. Right in 2014, there was no apprenticeship programs. Right. I I, I told myself my, my first role was an apprenticeship program, but that wasn't really official. Yeah. Right. But the industry, as you can see now, it's like over 30 of them that are seeing the value in it. And I think you listening to you, you were coming from an apprenticeship program, right? Like yeah, they, that's the program I'm in like, now. Fits that box exactly. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, you know, I think that's pretty awesome, um, and it's great that the the industry is, you know, because it's not it's not like a that's why I separated the career transition program. Career transition program for me is like a nonprofit seeing like, hey, there's a need for this in tech, like we want to help. We'll give you training and then you know help you. You know, if they have placement or whatever, they'll do that. But um, that's the separate. That's why I separate those two categories out. Like the apprenticeship is like really from companies themselves, like seeing yeah. the value. And to me, I was like, okay, that's aligned to you know, like they see already what, why this is important. So that's actually to me, like companies that signal yeah. the value of like diverse talent. So right. yeah, I think it's pretty awesome. And I just started doing this, uh, this year, I think I launched it, uh, I want to say in January or yeah, maybe, maybe end of December, um, mm -hmm. started off with 60 and, you know, throughout the year, I've just been, um, one of my, my goal on 2023 was like, Hey, I'm going to get a hundred, a hundred resources, Nico, let's go. I'm sure I can it. find it out. And yeah, I was there. I thought I was gonna do it at the end of the year. I was like, oh, I was able to find. I was actually able to do this at by like by by that time. And to me, that's just reinforced that there is opportunities out there. You know, you got to find one to make for yourself. Like, I'll give you the tools, right? I, right? Again, like I'm like, I'll help you give you. I'll give you the tools, and you have you just have to figure out your path to it. Yeah. Um, put in the work. Increasing your 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 chances of success, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I I do I I was telling somebody like that the only difference between me. Because I went to um, I'm not sure if you saw, but I was on the Mentor Mesh conference end of June, started the month, and somebody was asking me like, you know, why why do I do this stuff? And I was like, the only difference between you and me, because I see people that have the same hunger, same same like you know drive and purpose. Like I saw like, that's why I, you know, I was like, man, I see I, I see myself in these folks. I was like, the only difference is that I was able to find that opportunity to at least make my shot, right? Yeah. And that's the only difference because like when you get into the industry, like when I see other folks that I work with, I'm like, man, the, you know. They were just able to find this path. And, you know, if I'm sure like some of the guys here that I, I've talked to in this conference or 
or once the folks that I interact with on on my mentorship. So um, I was like, these folks just need an opportunity, and they'll yeah. they'll crush it. Uh, I I can tell that they can crush it, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I I think hopefully this again going back to my personal mission, like hopefully this empower right empowers people to get into tech so they can build awesome stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I love I love the the origin story behind this because it's the exact same thing with the the podcast that we're doing right now. It was it. <laughs> it was almost a sense of guilt. It's probably the wrong way to put that, but I was reflecting back on my own journey and I was like, you know, I was very fortunate, but you know, what could I do to try to give back? And I knew I didn't have that knowledge, but I mm -hmm. knew there's a bunch of people like you that had distinct paths into tech. And the goal for this and any episode that we do here is to try to give a possible blueprint for other people out there listening to pattern match, take the best bits and pieces and try to craft their own, you know, on-ramp into tech. And that's why, you know, I really appreciate the, uh, you know, the time and effort this must take. And that, that's the other question I had. you got over a hundred here. How do you keep up with the, like, which ones are open, which ones aren't? Do you have that automated yet? Not automated yet. Yeah. Okay. I, I was trying to figure out like how to automate it out. Uh, but right now it's like, I tried to, before I was trying to do it on a weekly uh, basis, but then I started realizing like a lot of the the apprenticeship programs don't really open up on a weekly basis. Right. Um, so I changed into a, either bi-weekly or every okay. three weeks is when I updated it. Because okay. then I was like, well, also, again, I was taking up my time. Um, that's why I, I put a disclaimer that like, I can't guarantee if it's always, you know, accurate on the information, but hey, go go click it. Like the only yeah. difference is like you clicking it for an extra minute to see if it's open or that's not. Right. If you can't do that. I'm, I'm sorry. Like that's right. <laughs> you're not willing to do that. You're probably not willing to put in the work yeah. to, to do what it takes. Yeah. So I would, I would sometimes have people asking like, Hey, what's the requirement of a program? Like, did you click it? Like, right. right. <laughs> did you, did you click it at least to see what right. the requirements are? Right. Yeah. Um, but no, it's not automated yet. Um, and I'm trying to like, you know, I, it's obviously evolving. It's obviously, uh, I'm still iterating through it on how I want to maintain it. Um, but if I find something and it's open, I also post it on LinkedIn because obviously I, I do realize that building this out isn't going to be enough. Like there still has to be, I still have to be able to help people find the list or at yeah. least give them the, the thing. That's why I post, uh, I think you, I see you too, posting apprenticeship programs or yeah. anything, any resources that are open right now. Cause yeah. you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm usually a pretty private person. I don't really do things in, you know, I don't even post on my Facebook or whatever. Right. Um, but on LinkedIn, I was like, okay, you know, if I really want to embody this mission of like really getting more folks to this, like I need to, you know, having being on a platform that can um, amplify that voice or that uh, this this ability to show like this opportunities, yeah. I have to do that then, right? Yeah. Or else I'll, I mean, don't get me wrong, helping ten people is is awesome, right? I think every single person that you help on that, even those ten people, you're you're changing lives. You shouldn't think about it as like it's a numbers game. It's not, right? Yeah. But if you want to help more and you want to figure out like what strategies out there to even to to really expand, like yeah. to be able to, that's actually one thing I realized about content. It's probably the fastest, one of the fastest ways I was able to deliver value to yeah. somebody else without writing code. Yeah. It's either it's either your, your leverage is like, hey, I'm gonna write a website and all that stuff and all of these things. And somebody can use it or i can write content and it can reach the same people with the same value because like that's why i you know this one my website's you i'm using ghost i was thinking in my head like i should build my own website right i should get back to some coding right now and get some yep. get some things going and then i was like in my head I was like do i want to recenter a, a freaking div for like the ten thousand time or should i focus on writing content so people can actually like add more value on it? which one has more value yeah. right me recentering a div or generating the content out so yeah that's why I'm this year I've really been getting after social media a bit more, or at least on LinkedIn. Yeah. 
trying Twitter a little bit, but you know, uh, I'm yeah. a, bit, a bit more active in LinkedIn. Yeah, no, I love it, man. I, I love this resource. I'm definitely going to put this in the show notes. And I know we're a little bit past our, our designated time, but if you're up for it, I'd love to throw you on the hot seat, ask a few rapid fire questions to better understand the man. Sure. Right on. All right. First question. What does your typical morning routine look like? Ooh, morning routine. So I wake up, walk my dogs, do a workout, either run, lift. Um, and then if I have an extra, after I get done with that, I don't usually eat breakfast. I just take a protein shake and um, either I work on something that, you know, something that's creative or read. Um, I, I call it my power hour. My first, my first uh, hour in the morning, I think it's eight to nine before starting yeah. my work. Cause as a PM, like I, I just grind out meetings from right. nine until <laughs> 4 PM. So I was like, okay, I don't want to be brain drained um, before getting to that. So um, yeah, that's my morning routine. If you woke up tomorrow with unlimited money, what do you think you would do every day? Um, right now, I would probably think of, if I have unlimited money, I would actually go into my, become a venture capitalist and find help find climate tech or anything that's related to climate. Because um, okay. that's actually what my, my five-year, 10-year goal is right now. It's like, okay, you know, if I get to financial independence, which I was trying to think about. I was like, okay, if I get, if I meet, meet my um, fire goals and all that stuff, what would I do? Right. Cause yeah. I gotta do something else. I was like, I want to do climate stuff, which is, okay. I, I'm not sure if you start seeing my LinkedIn. I've started posting a little bit about, about more because I am on my climate journey as well. So definitely that um, okay. probably venture capitalist that uh, is funding climate tech startups. I like it. Altruistic of you. If you could send a single message to your former self to help you during your various transitions that you've done, what do you think that message would be? Be kind to yourself. The steps might be simple, but it doesn't mean it's not hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's still pretty challenging. Like people can just, you know, you know what you need to learn or, you know, but don't be comparing yourself with others. Like, Hey, you know, like this person is already knowing all this stuff. And then you start realizing like, yeah, that person has 10 years of experience and is a principal engineer for a reason. Yep. <laughs> like you shouldn't compare with them. Right. So just being kind to yourself and, you know, celebrating, um, some of your wins, uh, I shouldn't not some, but your wins, um, as you go. And, you know, um, it kind of helps reinforce the journey on where you've been, right? Like you might still see your goal a little bit far out, but you realize you already took like a thousand steps towards it compared to yeah. be three months ago, you were at yeah. step zero, right? So, yeah. um, just appreciating those things. So love yeah. that. Now you've got a pretty robust list of podcasts, I think books, YouTube resources on your website. If I had to ask you to pick like a single podcast and or book, do you think you could do that in terms of those that have had maybe the most impact on you, your life, your career? Yeah, I will actually just pick probably two podcasts right now um, okay. rather than a book because a book is pretty tricky as I just depending on, on, on uh, what it is. So I will go with two podcasts. Um, I will go with Jocko podcast, uh, something I still listen to um, consistently, um, just because not just of the, the military uh, affinity, but also like the different you know people that are, has been there. And it's one, it's pretty inspiring hearing a couple of folks from uh, different uh, veterans, but also just the you know the non-veterans that, that join in. Like it's it's a pretty powerful podcast. That you might make things like super complex. For some reason, Jocko makes it <laughs> pretty simple, and I was like, oh yeah, I mean that makes. That makes total sense. I don't know why it's making this complicated. Yeah. Um, the lot, the other one would be Listen Money Matters. Um, they are no longer an active podcast, which kind of sucks. 
but I would say that that was probably the best podcast in uh, about finances for me, just because um, uh, Andrew um, Thomas Frank was there too. Um, uh, they were they were pretty solid. Like they, it's like you're talking to somebody that's just laid back, chill, you know, like just having a beer. Like how do you, you know, how do you do handle finances? And you know, if I ever start my own podcast, I'll probably model off them. So I'm probably gonna steal yeah. some of their their format because they 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 tackle a lot of the uh a lot of the strategies or the 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 new ideas that I found came from that podcast. And I wouldn't, I probably say, would I, I wouldn't have uh, been where I'm at right now. Um, okay my journey without that one so okay. i'll pick cool. those two things all right did you ever listen to choose fi uh, i'm curious because that was kind of my version of what you just described in terms of like the the financial independence movement uh no i probably i probably listened a while back maybe one episode but i think i okay. ended up narrowing it down um to just listen money matters got it cool well I mean, nico we've covered a ton is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to yeah i would have one so uh, i would say Take care of your mental health. The tech industry is probably, uh, you know, you might see a lot of the glamour, a lot of the cool stuff involved with it, but you know, it can really lead out to um, to burnout and all that stuff, and it can really affect your mental health, and you know, can affect your relationship with your family and all that stuff, or you know, just in general, like really your health. Um, the reason why I'm saying this is because last year I kind of came into that point, right? Been grinding for the past like nine years. Um, uh, this actually happened after I, you know, I got my job, um, and I still, you know, I'm still working my myself towards getting back into, um, I wouldn't say the same level. I'm still working towards figuring out a way to be more sustainable for myself, mm. right? Uh, the way I like to communicate it to people is that if I was a tech product or a software, like I like these analogies, um, it's the time when you start your tech debt finally came up to bite you. And now you're trying to figure out, do I need to re-architect my entire system or do I have to put tapes on this and bandages and figure out if I should build a new system, yeah. right? So that's kind of just the point where, where, where I was at last year and I had to, you know, slowly, um, slowly address that uh, over time. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm definitely still on the journey for it. I'm still having, you know, I, I keep my... Um, I try to keep myself in check and really addressing those things into, you know, listening to your body, um, listening to, you know, journaling and all that stuff. Um, and just basically be kind to yourself. <laughs> I know you want to get to the destination as far as soon as possible. Um, and, you know, just remember to also take, take breaks, right. Your muscle yeah. doesn't grow when you lift weights. It grows when you rest. Okay. So, um, I just want to say that I think it's really important uh, to, especially at this time um, when the, the market has been pretty rough, but also a couple, you know, people that are transitioning could, you know, I've seen a LinkedIn post of like yeah, 400 rejections and all that stuff. It, it's pretty tough. Um, yeah. Make sure you also take care of yourself. Yeah. So. No, thank you for, for highlighting that and stressing the importance of embracing the journey, not just that the destination that we all yeah. have in mind. So Sure. Niku, where can people go on the internet to find out more about you and connect? Uh, yeah, so um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter or my website. <laughs> well, my website, well, yeah, I'll point you. There's actually a dedicated link there that says connect. Um, okay. If you want to reach out to me. Um, if you're a veteran, I have uh, Veterati one-on-one uh, -on -one calls that you can book. Um, if you're a military spouse, transitioning member. And 
If you're not, I have a weekly coffee chat. I have an standing open invite on on my website right now. Um, I do free coffee chats and just talk about whatever when people nice. you know ask me about like tech or you know talk about transition or just getting feedback or all that kind of stuff. Like or you just want to talk about, you know, finance journeys or anything. Like I put that there so we can have that conversation because I think it's really helpful to have connection with others, right? Yeah. As humans, we're very social creatures. So yes. Keep that up no. there. It's all about the community and I'll definitely put links in the show notes to all the above. And again, Nico, I just want to thank you for coming on and, and sharing your for story. Sure. I enjoyed learning more about you. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.